are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You know, I've been attending a Nazarene church all of my life. In fact, um, there are over two million Nazarenes around the world. We organize ourselves into districts. And so there's maybe anywhere from 50 to 100 churches in a district, and every district has an overseer. We call them superintendents. So we're part of the Oklahoma district, and our superintendent was newly elected only um, a few months ago. His name is Larry Morris. Larry is a good friend to me. He has a big heart. He loves Jesus deeply. And God is using him in a powerful way to lead our district, and I'm thankful for him. A few months ago, he preached here on a Sunday morning, and everybody loved him. And today, um, it's my honor to present to you our new district superintendent, Larry Morris, to come and preach. And I want you to make him feel really, really welcome as he comes. Would you do that? Well, thanks for the nice welcome. I think I heard my wife go, woohoo. So it's good to see you. And uh, we are fortunate to be a part of this church. This is Christy and I's church. We're members here. I pastored in Houston uh, for about nine years and then moved into a role at Southern Nazarene University. And we came and we joined here. Uh, we typically go to first service. Has really nothing to do about our age. We just went to first service. And, but we love this church. And many times God has spoken to me personally. The Holy Spirit of God has come and spoken to me in the worship service and I'm thankful to be a part of this church family. And also, I hope all of you have some people in your life that when you spend time with them, you feel better about yourself. You leave and you're encouraged and you're motivated and Christy and I are blessed. We've got four of our close friends that do that for us and that is your pastor and his wife are those kind of friends to us and Jeffrey and Julie Johnson who are here today are good friends. And really, I'm just, I'm honored to be able to speak today. I appreciate Pastor Rick taking the risk here. And uh, I did get one sermon already down, so you guys are getting the second one. I got got the first one under my belt, so we'll hopefully be all right. Well, some, I, I get this question a lot. So I've been the district superintendent for five months. Now, what that really means is I don't have a clue what I'm doing, but I do it well. But I get the question a lot of, it's like, well, Larry, what do you think about your new role? And what are your observations? Well, so I travel, Christy and I travel about every, every week. We're not very good attenders here because we're traveling around our district at 76 other Nazarene churches. And so I get a chance to meet a lot of people and get a chance to see our church in different towns from larger cities to smaller towns. And there are some observations that I have. First of all, I am impressed with our pastors. Now, All of them, I know, feel called to the church. But what amazes me is we have several pastors in our district. They work a full-time job and then work full-time at their church. Uh, I had one pastor tell me the other day when he was talking about his full-time job, he said, yeah, I work that job so I can support my ministry habit. And so I'm impressed and blessed that they are willing to make such sacrifices to advance the gospel. 
Also, some of the things that impress me are those lay people in the church who have sacrificed their time, their talent, and their treasure to see their church go forward. Some of them have been there for decades in their churches, and they've continued to be faithful. Many of you are following that category. Also, I'm blessed when I get to go to a church that came to the acknowledgement that their address is not an accident that they recognize that God placed them in that town, in that, that area at this time for a purpose and they're getting outside of their four walls. They're not just focused on themselves and they're trying to share the good news of Christ with others. Bethany First Church is one of those churches. You do such a great job showing the love of Christ, not only to your community, but around the world. And I'm thankful for you and thankful for countless other churches that are doing the same. But also, I, I will admit, in just my short tenure in travels, I, I've become concerned about some stuff. And it's things that as a pastor, I recognize, but I also see it happening in our church. I, I get concerned when I see in our churches about people who have chosen their preferences over the purposes of God. That, that church becomes more about them and making sure they're happy and making sure everything goes their way versus what can we do to impact the kingdom concerns me. Another thing that, that concerns me is the, the fear that I see Christians falling into, this, this fear of defeatism and things are terrible and they're never going to get any better. And, and whenever we're making decisions or living life in fear, we're missing out on all that God wants for us. But I see it often. I also see in our churches, it, at times I think we're missing something. And then when I pray about it and I observe it and I think about my own life, I, I believe at times we're missing this power that God gives us and we, we receive this power through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And at times I just feel like some of that's missing in our congregations. But I'm not trying to be judgy because the truth is when I think about my own self, I have some of those same issues. There are times that I, I let my personal preferences get in front of God's purpose for my life. There are times I make decisions that are based on fear and not trust and faith. And then there are many times I just feel like, God, I think you've got more for me. I've got to be missing something here, God. Am I living in the fullness of what you have? How about you? Do you feel like that sometimes? Do you feel like that, that maybe fear has become too much of a dominant thing in your life, an anxiety? Uh, maybe it's this idea that, God, I think you have something better for me. I, I don't believe that I'm living in the fullness of what you have in store for me. Something seems to be missing. Well, today I want to I read a passage of scripture, and it's, it shows us a, a group of people who experienced, I believe, all that God had in store for them. And I, in my personal Bible study, I've been going through the book of Acts. And when I look at the story of the early church, here's some things that I see. One is they went to some dangerous places. They didn't hold back. They didn't seem to be concerned about others or what culture was doing. They were focused on accomplishing the mission that God had called them. They, they seemed to have a, a supernatural power that was beyond their own abilities. And also, which we'll read here in just a second, they had this perspective of Jesus that is one that I want more of in my life. So I, we're going to read in Acts chapter 2, it's verses 32 through 36. 
let me give you a little context before I read it. So in Acts chapter one, Jesus has, he has died on the cross. He is resurrected from the grave. He's having a conversation with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And he says to them, he says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I hear Jesus saying. He said, the church is about ready to explode. It's, it's gonna start right here in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's about ready to explode, but do not attempt to do the work of God without the power of God. So go to Jerusalem, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter two, that's what happens. They're in this upper room. There's about 120 of them. And then it just says, God came on the scene. It says that tongues of fire set on their head and that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. And, it, and when I read it, it makes me think about in Genesis where you, where you read that God just breathed life into humanity. And it's almost as if this is a new breath of God coming into this early church and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter gets up to preach his first sermon. As I was studying this, I thought about my first sermon. I, I preached my first sermon at Mustang Church of the Nazarene. It lasted five minutes. You will not get that today, I'm sorry. But anyway, Peter gets up to preach and he's a guy that has been in, a, you know, he denied the Lord three times, seemed to be at one point very timid about his faith. But he's been filled with the Spirit of God and something's different. So he gets up and he preaches. And in verse 32, it says this. Peter said, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave us the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know, Peter says, for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you have crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Would you take a moment? Let's let, let ask the Lord to help us today. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word. It's powerful, it's effective, it's transformative. We're not here on accident this morning, Lord. You have a purpose for us. And it's my prayer, Lord, that before we walk out of this sanctuary, we will be different. Use your word right now, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So right in the middle of Peter's sermon, he quotes from the Old Testament. And he quotes Psalm 110.1. I read it to you just a second ago. And he says this, it's, it's a Psalm from David. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under my feet. Now that verse is quoted multiple times in the New Testament. So it would make you and I think then there must be something in this verse that the early church wanted to make sure that we knew and that they lived on. Here's what this statement is about. So in Psalms, David is talking, he's making this kind of prophetic statement. He says, there's going to be one who is greater than me, that David, King David, who has come from God. And it says he is going to sit at the right hand of the father in power and authority, and he is going to make his enemies a footstool. He's going to defeat the enemies. 
And so when he's making this statement, he's in essence saying, there is a Messiah that is going to come and he is the king of all kings. So when Peter adds it to his sermon, he's looking out at a group of people who think about kings and they think about Caesar and Rome and all of these powerful people. And he's saying to them, this Jesus in whom was crucified and rose again from the dead, this Jesus is the king of all kings. He is all powerful. He is almighty. There is none like him. And he says, just to prove it, the enemy which is the enemy that wants to bring about difficulty in our life and cause us to miss the purposes of God. He says the enemy is going to be put under his feet and he is going to have power over him. And Jesus' purposes are going to be advanced. There is nothing that can stop it. We have this great king and he is King Jesus. So the early church had this view of Jesus that he wasn't just a guy who had some great sermons to preach and did some healing and ultimately dies and then now we see him risen again and then it's all over with. No, he's saying this Jesus is the king of all kings. So I love classic cars. And not too long ago, I visited with a gentleman who had a whole warehouse full of classic cars. I love classic cars like this. This is a 1985 Chevy C10, short wide bed, 350 engine, vintage air, power windows, power locks. This is my truck. And I just added the picture for I could show off my truck, okay? So I love classic cars. And uh, I always uh, tell people I'm out cruising for chicks in this, but usually they're older chicks. So anyway, I love, I love classic cars. And so I'm, I'm with this guy and he's got, he's got this warehouse full of cars and I'm walking around and he's telling me when he bought this car and how much he paid for this car and how he restored this car. And he's giving me all of the details. And so we spend over an hour there and I'm just salivating over all of his classic cars. We get done, we go back into his house, sit down in the living room, we're drinking a cup of coffee. And he asked me a question that, that I think he already knew the answer. He looked at me and he said, Larry, would you like to know how I made all my money? Well, that's a silly question. I just looked at all your classic cars. Of course I want to know how you made your money. So he said two words to me that I had never heard together. He said, adverse possession. He could tell by the way I looked at him, I didn't have a clue. So I so said, you're going to have to explain that to me. What, what is adverse possession? And I kind of put this down. This was a summary of what he said. He said, the law of adverse possession basically says that if I set up shop on your property in a way that is open, notorious, exclusive, intentional, and continuous for 15 years, then I can legally claim ownership of the property and enter into a process of getting the title from you. It's also known as squatter's rights. So what he was telling me is that there had been property that had been abandoned or people weren't looking after, and he would set up shop on that property. And after the time frame had passed, he would go down to the county to get the title in his name based on this provision in the law. So in essence, he took possession over something that wasn't his. Now, I didn't, I didn't debate that in any way. I thought, the cars look cool, but I'm not really comfortable with the way you raise the money. I believe I see 
the enemy setting up shop in places that are not his. I see it in the church where God has this grand idea of how the church is going to be advancing the kingdom of God on this earth, that we're going to be the place that loves God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbors as ourselves, and that we push it out to all of the world that the kingdom could be advanced. But I see Satan kind of setting up shop in the church and where there was once salvations and people being delivered from addiction and and transformations taking place, now we've become lethargic. We've become more focused on our preferences. And the church gets just kind of inward focused. And it seems as if the enemy is setting up shop in a place that is not his to set up. I, I see it happening in our families. God had created the family to be a place and where his purposes could happen in that unit. That they, could, that they could learn about God and that ultimately his purposes and it could be passed on for generations. But all too often I, I see in our families where Satan is setting up shop in places that he's not supposed to be and it could be in our marriages, with our kids or our grandkids. That that where scripture should be taught and, and influence should be made on them, we're finding that culture is influencing our families more than what God is doing. And it seems as if Satan has set up shop in a place that's not his. And then I see it in our lives. When Jesus came, to, came and taught, he said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. And the enemy, it seems like he comes into our life and he wants to steal our joy. He wants to discredit the hope that we have in Christ. He's trying to steal all of these things. And Jesus is saying, your life is not a place where he can set up shop. Greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. And we can be victorious because we serve King Jesus. He has better things in store for us. This is not the place. He can't have adverse possession in your life. We serve a risen Savior and a risen King. So that day when Peter gets up to preach the message and he pulls out this Psalm 110, he's in essence saying, To all those who are there and all of us who are reading it today, he's saying the day of adverse possession by the enemy is over with and Jesus has come to reclaim what is his. He has come to reclaim what is his where the enemy has set up shop. He no longer deserves it because when Jesus died, sin was put to death. When Jesus was resurrected, death ended and eternal life became available to us. And one day our King Jesus will come back and rule forever. And Peter says, this is public notice to the enemies of God. Your day of setting up shop that is not yours is over with. King Jesus rules and the spirit of God has come to empower us. So Peter keeps preaching. It has this kind of call to action because people who are listening, they're they're enthralled with what he's saying and they're saying, we want this. We don't have it. We need it. And in verse 37, it says that Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. 
and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away and all who have been called by our Lord, our God. So people hear this, King Jesus. We wanna, we wanna be a part of that kingdom. What do we have to do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. I'm gonna focus in on that word repent for a minute. Oftentimes when we, when we hear the word repent, you need to repent. We think that means, number one, is that I come to this belief that Jesus' ways are the right ways, that living the life of the love that he shows and, and to, to live a life that aligns with his is important. And then we said, now I've got to start behaving like that. And that is true. But I think repentance is more. Repentance is not only do I believe, but now I am belonging to something bigger than myself. And repentance is saying, Lord, I want my life to align with your purposes. Think for a minute in your own life. Are there, are there some attitudes, some outlooks, some habits, some things in your life that just seem to be out of line with God's best? When Peter said, repent and be baptized, he's saying, if you'll align your life with God's purposes, you can be a part of experiencing the very best that he has for you. And you can be a part of this kingdom that will never end. There's so much in store. Every once in a while when I'm watching TV, there's a commercial that comes up and it's from the Oklahoma State Treasurer's Office. And it says there's over $1 billion of unclaimed property in Oklahoma. Anybody seen that commercial? And then it says, if you go online of the State Treasurer's Office and you put your name in, if there's any unclaimed property in your name, it'll pop up. Every time I see the commercial, I get online to make sure my name hasn't, been, hasn't changed because every time I go on it, said no. And I'm thinking this could be it. It's in essence that the treasurer is saying to us, he's saying there, there are citizens in Oklahoma that are missing out on some good things for their life. And, and I think that may have been what Peter was saying when he, when he stood up and in essence said, God has better things for you than what you are experiencing. And if you will align yourself with his purposes, you can begin to experience life in an altogether different way. Paul said it this way in Colossians. He said, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and he took it by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by victory over the cross. He's saying that in Christ, you and I can have power over sin. You and I can have power over the enemy and where he has been setting up shop, he can be pushed out and it be reclaimed for the purposes of God. Well, let me finish with this story. How many of you saw the OU Texas game yesterday? Thank you, I got a few hands up. Some of you look like you've been dozing most of the time, but I at least woke you up there, right? All right, so great game, outstanding. OU Texas, I mean, it just ended like it should and, and it was exciting stuff. And I thought, you know, there's some similarities here that 
are similar to the way it was back in the year 2000 when OU won the national championship. Bob Stoops, second year, being coach. At this point, we were unbeaten. Are, are some of you prophetic enough? You think it could happen, right? I need a little more head nod here. I need confidence. Okay. So in 2000, Bob Stoops, second, second year's coach, and we play, we go undefeated for the entire season. How many of you remember this year? I just want to make sure I've got with you, or I've least heard about it. Okay. So undefeated all year long, some really exciting games. Actually, they got so excited, I, exciting, I had to go out in the garage to watch the games because there was too much screaming going on in the house. So I'm with it all season long. I'm, I'm just like you, you know, watching it and excited about every game. We win the champion, the, the, the Big 12 championship, and then we go to the Orange Bowl to play Florida State. Now, I've checked all my facts on this because here's what I thought is that my theology may have been all wrong up until this point, but if I don't get this OU story right, you guys are going to tell me about it, okay? So... Anyway, we're, so we're in, we're in 2000, and we come to this Florida, come to Orange Bowl, playing Florida State. They've got this Heisman Trophy winner quarterback named Chris Winkie, and all the pundits are saying, oh, you's never going to win. You know, they, they're overrated, all the basic stuff. It was a very exciting game. Actually, it was a real defensive battle. There was lots of screaming going on at my house, probably yours too. And we won the national championship of score 13 to 2. So I knew I would want to watch that again. It was so exciting. So I got this tape. It was about this size. It was called a VHS. And I, and I put it in this VHS player that I think you could fit a sandwich in if you wanted, back in the good old days, right? So I recorded this championship game and would watch it over and again, you know, and kind of analyze and all this kind of stuff, live the glory days. My son, who was actually a ministry intern here at the church, Jason, Jason, if, if you've ever met him, you, you immediately we go, this is a really laid back guy because Jason is. I mean, he's just laid back. He's kind of quiet. If I ever want to relax, I just spend time with Jason. Well, when Jason was a little guy, he was not so laid back. He actually was probably one of the grumpiest kids we'd ever been around. He had, we had a hard time settling him down. He cried all the time. Many times we would put him in the car put him in his car seat and just drive around until he finally fell asleep. Can anybody relate to this if you had to do that? Okay. So just drive around until he finally fell asleep. And then we would take the car seat out of the car, him still buckled in and put him in his baby bed and he would sleep in there all night long. We were wonderful parents. So Jason's just this uptight kid. He's, he's just always he's grumpy. He's kind of going around the house just upset about things all the time. One day... He's being grumpy, and I'm watching the rerun of the Oklahoma National Championship. He's just about one years old. So I, I put him up on the couch, and he is mesmerized. He's not mesmerized for five minutes. He does not move for the entire game. You want to know who became Jason's babysitter after that? It was the National Championship game. I mean, when he just couldn't settle down, we would put it in and he would sit there on the couch and just be mesmerized. I never got stressed out after I watched the first game because every time that we would watch it to kind of settle Jason down, there was one thing I was certain of. I knew who was going to win. I was never stressed. 
I've read the end of the book, and it's very clear that Jesus wins. That it is very clear that one day, actually I'll read it to you in Philippians, but one day everyone is gonna bow before Jesus. Paul writes it this way. He says, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and he gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Did you hear those words? That one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess what Peter was confessing on the day of Pentecost that Jesus is king and he will reign forever and ever and ever Do you think maybe our lives, how we live our life now and how we see life should be impacted by the fact that we know who wins? That 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 fear that that you know that the culture's taking over and the church is, you know, there's no hope for it, all these kind of things, or maybe even in our own life, that we just feel like we don't have any victory and the enemy's setting up shop where he shouldn't, and that's just the way it's gonna be. No, what the end of the book says is that Jesus wins. He is victorious, and we don't have to stress right now because we serve the king who will reign forever and ever, and he wants to empower us now to experience all that he has for us on this earth until he comes again. Do you feel like, just as I close up here, do you feel like that maybe the enemy is stepping into some places in your life that he shouldn't? He's setting up shop in some areas that are not his. For some of you, it's your family, your kids, your grandkids. For some of you, it's in your own life and you just think, I know I'm missing something. I just really believe that God has more for me. For some reason, I feel like I'm missing God's best for my life. On the day of Pentecost, we see that God is able to fill up the emptiness with his spirit. Commentator Matthew Henry said it this way. He said, where God gives grace, he first gives a thirsting after it. And where he has given a thirsting after it, he will give it. In other words, if you say, I'm thirsting for something more, that is the grace of God speaking into your life to say, I've got more for you. The enemy's been setting up shop in places that he he has no power and it's time to reclaim that for the glory of God. And so I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor. We're gonna close in prayer. And I've been, this is my church, and I see us use these altars all the time as a place to just seek God. But maybe today, as we close, there would be some of us who would say, I need more. I'm ready to align my life with God's purposes. There's some stuff there that's out of alignment, and today I I wanna repent, confess. I'm ready to belong to something greater. I wanna see God do more. For some of you, it's your family and your hearts are broken because you see what's happening. I still believe that greater is he that was in us than he that's within the world. I believe that God can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask. That he wants to work in our lives, in our families. And say, Satan, you've been setting up shop. That's not yours. 
may it be reclaimed for God. And for, I'd also ask you to do me a favor. There are 76 other churches on this district and Bethany First Church, I'm so thankful for the partnership that we have. But maybe today you just come and pray for the church, that it would be all that God would want it to be, that it would be this force for the kingdom where God has placed it. So if you join me in prayer today as we close, but would you stand? Nick's gonna come and lead us in a closing song. But if you would join us in prayer, I know that God wants to meet us and he wants to work in and through our lives.
praying today so what I'd like to do is just remain in this attitude in this time of prayer and just seeking the Lord if you need to leave uh, the doors are open there but just to remain in us in the spirit today just call upon the Lord we seek the Lord today with our worship with our prayers know that we can trust him as we just sang so we're just going to sing just a little bit more this morning just waiting upon the Lord today I trust in God I trust in God my Savior the one who will never fail he will never fail oh, I trust in God my Savior the one who will never fail he will never today. It's been a great day to be together. Thank you for coming this morning. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online 
at bethanynaz.org.